the truth about our relationship with our problems. So I recently posted something about me trying to figure out my niche, right? Trying to figure out who I am and who I am as a professional. So, you know, I've got, uh, you know, specialty in behavior analysis. I've got my master's in mental health. I've got my doctorate in marriage and family. And, and for people that don't know, those three fields are super different. Um, and I started to come to realize that I have become an expert of relationships, whether that's a relationship with your child, because I do a lot of parent coaching, uh, whether that's a relationship with your spouse, right, the marriage and family, uh, or, or someone in your family. Uh, and then I look at things like anxiety and depression and you know, OCD and the work I do there. And I, there's this space where I have a specialty there too. And so my hands are kind of in like a hundred things. And I realized, wait a second, I've become an expert in relationships, period, right? Whether that's the relationships I described or a relationship with our problems. And so some people asked me like, what does that even mean? Right, Daisy? And so this is the truth about our relationship with our problems. So first off, we want to think, well, what is a relationship, right? And a relationship can can really be a space of connection, a space of influence with one another. Uh, think of something that's a part of your life and that influences you. And there's a, a relational space between you guys where... Uh, where mostly that you can influence each other in some way, shape, or form, right? Emotionally uh, and decision-making. And so if we think of our partners, if we think of our parents, if we think of our children, right, we're in relation with them uh, and they have an influence on us because of our connection with them. And so when we look at that relationship title or or definition, better said, uh, we start to think, well, you know, my problems, they're not like super helpful sometimes, like you're doing the most sometimes, right? So if I I had a difficult relationship, let's say with my sister or my mom or my partner, right? My first thing would be like, why, why, why are you doing this? We're supposed to love each other, right? And, And very often we struggle with finding the love between us and our problems. And so we have to think, well, why do problems come up? Right. And, and to be to be honest, problems uh, that we have and things that we deal with are often coping skills uh, for for problems that we have. So if you struggled with having security in your life as a child, you might find yourself in a more controlling space, right? Where you find yourself anxious and, and wanting to have more control of things or worrying about the unknown and, and that causing a lot of stress for you. And our anxiety, let's say, is a way of coping with that unknown. Our depression is a way of coping with something we might be struggling with. OCD might be our way of coping. Again, OCD is a space of anxiety, but um, it might be a way of coping to regain control. If we get really angry, we find ourselves fighting heavy, right? We got the, I, I tell my clients all the time, deep feelings, right? We feel big. And when we find ourselves in that, you think, well, why would you come up, man? You're making my relationships hard and stuff. And oftentimes they're coping. They're trying to protect you. Right. And so a lot of times our problems have a purpose. 
And so our problems having a purpose hopefully will reframe why your problems are there. They're not just there to hurt you. They're not just there to make your life miserable. They're not this malicious character that's been developed by your brain because like we super hate you. That's just not the way it works, right? It's it's a form of coping. And then we think, well, why do they think they're helpful then? If my problem is trying to cope with something, it's obviously not doing it well, right? And it's obviously struggling a little bit. Like you're making my life harder. I can notice that. Why can't you? So then why does our problem actually think that it's being helpful for us? Uh, And the reality to that part too is when we look at our problems, a lot of times I like to ask my clients how old their problem is. And they'll be like, what? You know, I've had some clients that give me like the WTF face. And I'll say, well, how old are they? More often than not, right? More often than not, they are either a child or they are a teenager. So why are they like a child? Thoughtless. They don't make the best decisions. Sometimes they're a little impulsive. They try to fix things. And when a child is anxious trying to fix it, they they usually do it in a way that's actually not very helpful. And so when we think of it more like a child, something that doesn't really know how to fix it, but is trying so hard to do so, we can give it a little bit more grace. And then when we think of it like a teenager, we can think of the rebellion. So think about the those people that might struggle with anger, right, or, or rage. And when they feel defensive, ah, oh, gloves up, man. I don't care who's in front of me. I'm gonna, I'm fight. I'm fighting anybody that's in front of me, right? Uh, I don't care what you think I don't care who this hurts I'm going to attack every single person around to protect the host and so it could be like a teenager in that like rebellious space where it feels really defensive really quickly Uh, so I'll usually get those two every once in a while I'll get the 20 year old 21 year old right where they're still exploring themselves exploring their lives a lot of unknowns a lot of insecurities right in that space because of the time in our lives So when you really think of what age it might be and what way that it's thinking, we can often try to figure out why does it think it's helpful, but it's really not. So if it's a child, it thinks it's helpful because it's doing the best that it can. It has no other way of fixing this. And then if it thinks if it's a teenager, it is rebellious and it does not care if there's another way. The way that I'm doing it is the right way. And then if it's like a young adult, there's so much insecurity and unknown and figuring out, right, that stage in our lives. And so, you know, we can we can take it there that they're doing the best that they can with what they've got. And so giving our problems and the way that we manage them that you know anxiety depression anger you know the struggles that we might be dealing with emotionally right sadness and and all the the negative feelings that are really difficult to maneuver through right so why do they come up they genuinely think they're being helpful being angry at them and hating them isn't helpful we end up hating ourselves let's be honest and so moving into that space of reframing our struggle to understand it better in the context that it exists can give us a freedom that I don't think uh, we're sometimes ready for, right? But we end up there. And so how do you 
you know, better the relationship, right? You're probably like, okay, Daisy, appreciate it, right? Good relationship, bad relationship. But now what? In that, I will give you four points uh, on how to better your relationship with your struggle, right? With your problem. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not actually saying this is an external problem, right? Uh, Something that maybe is outside in the world that's influencing you, but more what is going on inside of you and your struggle, whatever may come up as a reaction to problems. Those are the struggles that I'm talking about. So the first thing, well, you know what? I said there's four points, but there's actually five. So the first thing, give it a name, give it a name. What do you want to name it, right? Names are important. Uh, in my class, I'm always telling my students, hey, correct me if I've got your name wrong because your name matters. Uh, every syllable, every silent letter, every dynamic that there is, my English and Spanish is not the only way that your name can be pronounced, right? So correct me if I'm wrong. Names are important. They give value. They give strength, right? We, we sit and we determine people's names. So go ahead, give your struggle a name. What do you want to name it? I had a client who named hers Dementor. I loved it. Right? I've had people call it the angry monster. I've had people call it Bob. Bob. Live it. Right? Live your best life with whatever name you find appropriate. Right? Whatever name you find appropriate. So give it a name. That process of externalizing our struggle from ourselves, right? We we end up in this resentment to ourselves and our struggle that we have. And it is very overwhelming to be like, fuck, I did it again. Why do I always do this? And we look at the consequences of our struggle and we we get mad at ourselves. And so I want you guys to externalize that, separate it from yourself. Let's go ahead and give it a name and speak to it like it's outside of us, right? Like it has the relationship with us that we're saying in this episode that we've got, right? I've got a relationship with you, Bob, right? Come over here, Bob. We need to talk, right? So one, name it, right? Number two, know their influence. When your mother-in-law comes into town, what do you like? When your mom comes over, do you run cleaning, right? If you're, if you uh, were raised in a Hispanic home and, and that uh, pressure got put on you, then no one can be in your house without every single corner clean, right? I've seen a TikTok where, where they talk about, well, this is what my wife believes that is going to happen when a guest comes over and they run through the house, like looking at every corner, looking behind the toilet seat, like, ha, I knew that it wasn't, but whatever, I'm digress. So know their influence. When your anxiety comes in, what do you do? Do you cower? Do you get angry? Do you start to to engage in conversation back and forth in an unhealthy manner? Do they say, hey, we're going to die. And you go, oh, shit, you're right. Right? Do you trust that struggle so deeply that no matter what it says, you never question it? I don't actually find those relationships to be the best. That when we might be in the wrong, that our friend's not willing to look at us and go, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's talk about this, right? I don't know where you're going here with this, right? Are we, are we willing to challenge our struggle at all? What's the influence when it comes in? Who do you become? Who does Daisy become when her anxiety walks in the door? So know their influence. Number three, know their purpose. Know their why. Why do they come in? 
Do I feel triggered? Do I feel like I need to defend myself? Do I feel unsafe? Right? Is my anxiety or my depression, is it coming in for a purpose? The answer is yes. It's just figuring out what is that purpose. And oftentimes you can look around your environment and figure out what triggered you and then kind of go, you know, go through that rabbit hole and you'll be able to figure out its perceived purpose, what it's attempting to do, which is often in a line of protecting you, even when it burns us and it tells us we're failures, we're never gonna make it. It's like its own attempt to protect you from the failure in front of you, the potential failure, right? You haven't failed yet. By beating you down, you can see that kind of like a parent. They're like, look, don't even, don't even, don't even. Like, don't even try out for the soccer team. Don't even try this. Don't even try that because of their own fears of you failing and what that disappointment will do to you. So why not just just really get you to stop now so that you never run into that? So what is its purpose? Even in the times that it hurts you, there might be a purpose behind that. The fourth one, build trust in that relationship. So so when that Bob comes knocking on the door and says, hey, death, right? Panic, death. We need to get out of here, right? Think about whether you're in a plane or you you feel like your partner said something slick And maybe your fear is that you don't catch it fast enough and then you stay in something too long and you got to go. And so you get defensive and you get, you know, you start to stonewall and start to just, you know, just lose yourself to protect yourself. That relationship that you have and what it does, it comes in, right? We've just, we've just kind of explored what's its purpose. And so oftentimes what it does is it kind of like pushes you out of the way. Right. Just like, get out of the way. I got this. And so what you're going to want to do is build trust in that relationship, because for some reason, it doesn't think that you've got this. It thinks it needs to come in and it needs to protect you. It needs to take care of you. It needs to intervene. So how can we start building trust with it through conversation? How do we talk to ourselves? How do we talk to our our struggle? How do we talk to Bob? How do we look at Bob and go, hey, Bob? And everything in me, I might be terrified right now, but Bob, I appreciate you coming, right? That's where we go back to that purpose. I I acknowledge that purpose. Then I go to this third space where I start to build trust. I start to tell Bob that we are okay and that we are going to take care of each other. Sounds super, super hippy dippy. I get that. I really do. But it works. All right. To all my clients out there that I make do it, tell them. Tell them, put them, put it, put it. I was going to say, put it in the comment below. Like this is like a YouTube live or something, but put it in the, in the review. Hey, what she said works. We need to learn how to build trust with our struggle, with our Bob. So that Bob doesn't find the need to keep breaking down the door when he's kind of unwanted. He's not welcomed right now. No, thank you, Bob. You're good. I'm good. Stop. There's times that I need you and there's times that I don't. This time right now is not a time that I need you. How do we build that trust when Bob hears me say that? Bob goes, all right. All right. She says she's good. If she's not, I'm going to break down that door. But if she is, then I'm going to step back because I'm not needed. And so building that trust actually comes with building conversation with your Bob. And then the last thing, well, this might not be the last thing. It's like a double last one is to know how Bob might need some comfort 
And so a lot of times that looks like coping skills. You might also connect that to the physiological things that happen to you uh, when you get worked up, right? When Bob comes in the room, right? That's going back to number one. Number two, sorry, knowing their influence, right? When they walk in the room, what happens to you? What happens to your mind? What happens to your body, right? And so when I can already acknowledge that, I start feeling my heart race, right? Maybe if I get mad, maybe it's not my Bob, maybe it's my Sally comes in and I'm and I'm angry. Oh, I'm going to feel hot. Oh, I feel hot in my body. That indicates to me that Sally's coming through the door. And so how do I cope when Sally comes through the door? I can't figure that out until I can understand what Sally does to me. So it's managing that physiological reaction that happens and helping Bob cope. Do you go into fight or flight? Does your heart race? Do you start to sweat? Do you feel hot inside? Is your body getting prepared to run, but you're really just like hanging out in the house? So when Bob comes through the door, knowing what happens to your mind or to your body And then learning how to cope with that. So that might include having a conversation with yourself to build that trust, to calm him down. Or it might mean bringing down your fight or flight, that physiological reaction that happens. And we've got to convince our bodies that that we're good, right? We're safe because it's going into survival mode. Every time you comfort Bob, you build a little bit more trust. Bob stops and says, hey, we didn't die. And that was pretty nice. And so we're going to want to build those coping spaces around, again, mind or body conversation or or bringing down that survival uh, space that you might be in, right? So, for example, you've got grounding techniques, if, if it's just physiological. Um, you've got grounding techniques, looking at your senses, finding five things you see, finding five things you hear, because it brings you back to the present moment, holding an ice cube, physiologically is going to bring your body down because now your body's focused on something else. So it starts to regulate yourself. And so really just regulating that body um, helps you bring down Bob and and Bob's like super excited. And you're like, hey, hey, chill, chill, chill. And that's going to build trust, right? And the more you learn Bob's purpose and the more you learn Bob's influence in your life, the more you can control Bob, the more you can stand in front of Bob, the more you can parent Bob, the more you can can help Bob in a lot of different ways. So whether you've got Bob, Sally, the Hulk, uh, the Dementor, Angry Monster, no matter no matter what might come up for you, um, we all have struggles, and whether we like it or not, we all have relationships with that struggle. That relationship is a very important one, and as much as we try to get rid of all of it and tell it that it's not welcome, the reality is it is a part of us, but it's not us, right? So it's just building a new relationship uh, with it, you know, by learning their influence, knowing their purpose, building trust, right, learning how to help it. Uh, be comforted, right? Um, and then that first one, always giving it a name, right? Because names are beautiful. I appreciate you guys. I'm Dr. Daisy Monteroso, and this is the truth about our relationship with our problems. Go live your best lives. <laughs>